The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. How often do you wake up in the morning and, and think, I'm fielding data from a hundred different sources. None of it seems to make any sense. I can't uh, put here or there together. It, it just, nothing kind of goes together. The world has changed so much. And you got to wonder to yourself, how do we make sense of data when our past experience doesn't reconcile with the future? To answer that question, data expert, John Johnson, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Joel? Good. Hey, good. Nice to uh, nice to have you join us. This this is a really big problem. We live in a world of big data, and big data uh, is good and bad. And I hope you can uh, help us make some sense of it. Well, I'll do my best. I do think you know data is a blessing and a curse. But uh, I think that situation you described, though, with you know, oftentimes business leaders are faced with just multitudes of data sets. I mean, the amount of data that is created just in the ordinary course of business is phenomenal. I mean, IBM had some estimates that, you know, half of the world's data is created every two years. And that number is um, constantly changing. So how do you make sense of data that does not come out of your accounting system, your personnel system, your financial systems ready to use? That's always the question. So so let's just, just for purposes of kind of narrowing the scope here, are we talking about the data that a company generates or experiences? Are we talking about the data that happens in the United States of America in, in aggregate, and then the company plugs into that environment? I mean, what are we going to focus on right now, just, just to be clear? Look, I, I think a good, look, there, there are issues with both, okay? And, and we could we could have a whole discussion about just how do you interpret the, the misinformation and the data you see in the news and from sort of public data sets. But I think for the purposes of sort of the business audience, let's talk a little bit about the data sets within your company. And how do you begin to even make sense of that data? Because that's the data you have full access to um, and that you're the closest to. And so I think that's a good starting point. But let's also uh, let's also make sure we look at the at the bigger picture because companies are having a hard time plugging into the big picture. In a certain way, companies are having an easy time of their own stuff. It's it's the big picture they're having a really big hard time with. To, to me, that's that's what I notice. Well, I think the big picture problem is first of all you never know who's actually curating the data and what their kind of motivation or goals are. And so as a starting point for either type of data set, whether you're looking internal or external, one of the first things I always talk about is, you know, you've got to know what question you're trying to answer. 
And so if you don't spend time thinking about, well, what is it that I really want to know? Um, you don't have any hope of actually understanding the data and how the data fits in. So a really good place to start is the discipline of, all right, what question do I care about? Is it retention? Is it about pricing? Is it about business realities? Is it about changes in government policies? What's the question? And if you don't focus on what the question is, you don't know which data to use. You don't know which data you have. And I think that's kind of sometimes the starting point is, you know, I have a shiny data set. Ooh, I can look at it. What can I learn from it? Well, yeah. there's some value there. But if you don't know what the practical question is, you really can't move forward. You know, it, 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 it's so simple uh, that, that some people would overlook that as a problem, but it's a terrible problem. And, um, and no doubt about it, uh, there are a lot of hidden agendas and people will, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, it's like, uh, like magic where, uh, you know, they get you to look over to the right, but the activity is happening on the left. Yeah. And, and, and I just think there's a big sideshow and uh, we're, we're so dependent on data these days uh, and the science and, I, I tend to think that a lot of it's manipulative. I'm not saying I don't trust doctors. I do. But I think that when they say trust the science, trust the data, uh, it's highly manipulative because it's it's not the science. It's the current science. And that's changing every day. And it's the current data or or whatever. So I just I think there's so much manipulation. Um, let's talk about this before we get into the other stuff. Let's talk about... Uh, misapplication, you know, and, and, and some of these things, because um, I think that, that we really need to be more careful uh, with this stuff. What is your experience? I mean, you listen, you're an expert in a court of law, uh, you know, attorneys and courts ask for your opinion. How do you, uh, you know, find the true north here and uh, answer the real question so that you don't get thrown off and pushed into a, into a gully? Look, it's a it's a great question and a huge problem. And so, you know, I actually wrote a book about this called Every Data, the misinformation and the little data you consume every day. And um, it was a great exercise for me to have to go through and think about what is it that we see every day and how do we get bombarded with little pieces of information that are driving us in a certain direction. As an expert witness, I try to stay true to the science. Now, that's hard because, you know, as an expert, although you're hired by one side or the other, you have a professional reputation and you have to maintain that reputation at all costs. And so for me, I'm the kind of expert that gets hired by people who understand I'm going to give you my objective opinion and it will be what it is, but it will be defensible and it will be rigorous. And I try to lay out clearly, here are the assumptions, here are the things I can or can't say with the data. I mean, the reality is for all the talk about rigor and data analytics, um, data is a tool but it only gets us so far to the answers to our questions. So you always have to know both what the data can tell you, but also equally, what does the data not tell you? And I think if you take that perspective, then when someone says to you, well, follow the science, you can say, okay, well, what can I definitively determine based on this? But what is it that this doesn't tell me? What is it that this doesn't clear up? What are the unanswered questions still? That's an important part of it so that you don't go all in on a strategy, a policy, an approach and realize, oh, but this wasn't telling me that. This was only giving me information up to this point. So I think a little bit of humility about what the data can and can't tell us. It's a critical, critical skill. And, and so how do, you, um, how do you go about determining uh, what's the omission? Because a lot of times the story, uh, you know, tell the truth, the whole truth, another mother truth. That whole truth part is really important. We don't, we kind of overlook it, but if you leave out, you know, some big chunk of information, 
then that's not entirely the truth. And that seems to be uh, what media does. They tell the story, they make the facts kind of line up the way that they want, uh, you know, and it's kind of, it's not an unbiased arrangement anymore. So how do you avoid that situation? What do you do? Well, first of all, it requires a lot of discipline and hard work. Like there is no shortcut. So my goal as a data analyst isn't to just simply tell a story. It's to make sure I understand what the strengths and the weaknesses of the story are. Now, <clears throat> is it easier to just sort of simply go with the first thing you see or go with that which may appear to be superficially obvious? Yes. But part of what I have to do in an expert setting is I have to spend a lot of time digging deep into the data and actually thinking about the alternative explanations and ruling them out. So that rigor of here's, and so part of why when I say I advise businesses I start with is because it's the same thing I have to do in my expert work. What is the question I'm trying to answer? What are the potential explanations? All right, what can I do with the data to test that rigorously such that I can either include or exclude certain um, ideas? And then you just have to be honest about what the where the limitations come. Let's let's even take a step back and start even at a more basic level. When you talk about data, what is data? I mean, you know, to me, it's it's there's cells in a spreadsheet. That to me, that's data. You know, I mean, but it's such a big concept. I mean, what is it? I think data is actually far broader than that. I mean, as a practical matter, data today is everything, including visuals, including sound, including voice. I mean, there's so many different sources of data, but I think the traditional idea, when you think about numbers and quantification, anything that can be quantified ultimately is a form of data. Um, and so, you know, when we talk about, you know, I don't, data rarely comes ready to use. And there have been times where I've had to do things where like, oh, I have to go build a data set based on whether it's qualitative interviews or based on, you know, circulars in the newspaper where it's like, oh, I have to track promotional spending and I'm going to go look at all of the coupons for, you know, a year. I mean, there's all sorts of variations in terms of what data is. Ultimately, <clears throat> some people think of it as you cross the line into hard data when the numbers are on a piece of paper. But in terms of information, data can be much more broad. You know, uh I, I kind of have this picture in my mind, you know, like big data, like, uh, you know, Facebook is this giant buyer of big data. And, you know, Costco does a great job. Every time you buy a can of string beans, you buy a bag of marshmallows. I mean, they know every single thing that you've bought for your for the last 20 years. I mean, they know everything about you. And then they can they can figure things out from that and they can extrapolate. I mean, that when I think about data, you know, and, and, and granted, I'm not a data professional, but that's kind of what I think about is that that's that's their data set about their customers. What other data sets do they have? And, and like, what happens to that data? And, you know, and how do they manipulate it or, or whatever? Like, what's, what's the process? Well, again, I think part of what the reality is, is where data comes from. And although companies are more um, deliberate about what they can do, you know, you're describing various marketing data sets, but at the end of the day, a lot of the data that most companies have comes from the daily operations of their business. And so those are things like payroll, those are things like HR databases, those are um, then their sales databases, their accounting databases, their billing databases. It's all of those types of things that most companies have. Again, you're talking about large retail companies. Okay, so, right, there, there are many different databases. And one of the big problems is that our computers have gotten pretty good in this industry. It's about 25 or 30 years old. It's not a real mature industry. But a lot of times these data sets don't talk to one another, which is very problematic. But uh, let's just say Costco. Do they do a good job of collecting their data? 
Well, I, I think, <laughs> um, look, these large companies, and again, whether it's, let's just talk about general sort of, in general, these kinds of retail companies, they all have these sort of needs to try to keep track of whether these programs, whether they're, you know, consumer programs, things like that. Now, the problem is they're not always very complete. Um, you know, it is still, so a lot of these programs are predicated on having your, your card number or the same person buying at all times. So although, you know, there's going to be some levels of information that are valuable, there are some that won't be. Um, and again, that gets back to the reality that everything that these companies are doing is sort of still, you got to take the data as it is, warts and all. Now, there's a lot of predictive analytics where they're sort of saying, okay, well, someone like this, based on the purchasing behavior we can see, uh, this is what we predict they'll act like. But it's still the case that a lot of times the data can be incomplete. It's not always clear you can track every single purchase because, again, somebody doesn't have their bonus card. Somebody doesn't have, you know, a different person shops that day. So, so there are some real challenges fundamental to this. But, yeah, these are sophisticated companies trying to predict purchasing behavior. Um, I think the answer is it's a little bit mixed. But every time you go on Facebook, you can see an ad that is curated towards you. Um, based on your prior search history. So it is the case that they know what they're doing, <laughs> but um, I don't think it's a, it's an automatic that all of it is actually as perfect um, as one might think. Okay, so so one thing I just heard you say, so, uh, so Costco's thing, and, and I'm only using Costco just because they collect so much information about their customers. Uh, that, that's the only reason, it's not, uh, so they, but they're not collecting information about me per se, they're really collecting information about my family or or or, or depends because I don't know if the cards have different numbers if they know uh, which one is my wife which one is me which one is the kids which I mean I don't know if they know who's who in in the in the process and I'm not even sure if it really matters if it's going into a family unit but what about like in Las Vegas Las Vegas tries to keep track for example of the uh, gambling patterns of their people so they have these same exact club cards uh, yeah. they do the exact same thing um, you know and, and it's a little different than the airlines who give you points for frequent being a frequent flyer that the intention is to track your behavior during an activity so how do the how do the casinos do give us just do you have any any sense about yeah, that look, i mean in a general sense again the way this sort of all works is what they're trying to do in a general sense is create some kind of predictive model right they want to know that a person with your demographic characteristics behaves this way not not necessarily only you although you is part of it but it's sort of more broad i think the starting point is okay how does, you know, take myself, how does a 48-year-old a male, um, what's his behavior like as he goes around from casino to casino? And how does that differ then from, you know, my wife or someone who's 25 out there or, you know? And so these models, they do try to get as much demographic information as possible so they can do predictions and then they can sort of have insights about all sorts of things, whether that's placement of a machine, um, which times of year people are more likely to come, I mean, the, the possibilities are endless in that regard. But again, I think the way to think about the exercise is they're trying to get the most predictive models they can for behavior along those lines. And then they're trying to quantify to themselves um, what makes me the most money. <laughs> is it, uh, you know, which, which types of behavior is going to drive the most into my casino? If I give, you know, the free buffet, does that sort of meet? person then spend an extra, you know, $500 at the, you know, poker tables. Those are the kinds of questions. Again, I don't, I don't have any particular expertise in casinos per se, that I haven't been there, but like that's, that's the idea behind all yeah. those. You know, it's, it seems like the purpose of these programs has kind of changed over time as things have gotten more sophisticated. Like it used to just be, 
uh, sign up and then we can mail you uh, promotions to come to our casino. Now they can really track your behavior and the more sophisticated tracking allows them to uh, do the test and see if the buffet uh, adds anything to their uh, to their winnings. I mean, I mean that, that's an interesting kind of thing. Uh, and this ties into all kinds of other companies, by the way. I mean, we can generalize this to all companies sure. that they, instead of using data just for the purpose of promotion, you can also use it for prediction and for other kinds of planning. What's the next generation of this stuff look like? Do you have any any sense about it, that we, what they're working on or where, where this is going? Well, I think the sort of things you see a lot is, first of all, I, I just think more and more refined predictions are always going to be the case. So, they, you know, as long as there are models, you can do a better and better job and get more and more micro as you have both more reliable data and more frequent data. So one thing will just be even, you know, a lot of focus internally at companies on that. But then you also now start to see things like artificial intelligence and how can they do those kind of modeling where they're sort of trying to do these things where they're sort of predicting with AI, all right, well, um, can we teach our computer to sort of update these models? And, and it, it becomes even more about algorithms and sort of different tools by which they try to get a more sophisticated, more precise um, take on their customer base. Okay. So let's, let's try and um, move this now to uh, medium-sized companies, giant companies like Costco, giant companies like casinos. Uh, th- they have certain kinds of tools and capabilities how do middle-sized companies use the same uh, tool sets that are appropriate for them and their customers? Well, we started talking about the fact that the data sets are, you know, <laughs> you're a middle-sized company and you have all these disparate data sets and they're not talking to each other and they're not synthesized and you just want a question answered and you can't get the answer because you don't even know which data sets you have. So I think when you deal with mid-sized companies, sometimes I joke that I'm kind of like a data facilitator, right? I come in and I sort of, have been in meetings where I've talked to sort of business people and sort of start to talk, just connecting the dots across the different areas, the HR department with the sales department and sort of how that all works, um, you know, and just make um, people start to talk within the company amongst themselves and then realizing, oh, I have this data set. And if I use this data set and match it to your data set, maybe we can get an answer. So when I come back to why do you want to frame the question so specifically, it's because then you can actually say, okay, well, what data sets do I have at my company that might answer that? And how do I put them together? I think that's the way you take this massive data, you make it actionable, is you'd be very much concrete about what you want to accomplish. You'd be very specific. And then you kind of communicate <laughs> to figure out, all right, what are the data sets at my disposal that might answer the question? Is, is this solution uh, the kind of situation where some person in a company owns the responsibility of doing it? Or is it that people have to sit around a table and share information and and that's the best way to get it? I mean, who owns the solution to this problem in a company? I I think as a practical matter, the person who's asking the question is gonna have to own the solution, but that's to get to that solution, you're going to have to get different shareholders together within the company, right? So if I'm trying to figure out at a mid-sized company, if I wanna do something with sort of pricing analytics or I'm gonna do something, you know, with sort of, retail pricing data I have, um, I'm going to need to use that data that the company has, but I'm going to have to make sure we're driving that forward. So there's a little bit of sort of how do you just manage a project like this? And then there's also the execution that at a given company, you know, it's not clear that, let's say your HR department has the statistical expertise. I mean, somebody in your company is actually have to run some of these analyses or work closely with an outside consultant. So look, I, 
I want to be realistic about data. Data is not an answer to everything. And there are certain very practical obstacles to getting good insights out of data. And some of them are just pure management issues. Like how do you manage a process like this um, to sort of move it forward? I think that's part of it is that data doesn't just give you the answer. You really have to put in place a project plan and sort of a process. It doesn't be a complicated process, but a process by which you can get to the answers you need because it's very unlikely you're sitting on the single data set that has all the answers that you need. You know, it, it just seems to me that uh, things have gotten so complex in such a short amount of time that a lot of people don't have really the training, the experience, the background, uh, you know, whatever it is to be able to figure out exactly how to put their finger on the problem. So more and more data is being collected. Uh, data is in a certain way, harder to extract than it's been before. In some ways easier, some ways harder, especially when these databases crisscross one another. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people just don't have the training to know uh, where even to start. And so if somebody doesn't know, if you've got uh, people in different departments that don't have background in this sort of thing, where do they even start? How, it, 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 I heard you say it starts with the question. Uh, you know, but let's let's carry that a little further. Where else do they what else do they do to succeed with this with this kind of initiative? So when we're when we do, we have something called a data blueprint where we sort of lay out sort of the steps for companies that they can follow internally and then sort of try to walk them through. And so after we start with the question, the next thing we usually do is thinking about our right, what are the what would be the ideal data set that might give you the insights you want for a question? And then you have to you have to get your other stakeholders involved. All right, what data sets do we actually have? And again, I'm not talking about the fact that you need to pull 100 data sets together. Um, I don't expect most companies have the capabilities to just have people sitting around prepared to do that, right? If you have a problem that's of that significant scope, you're probably going to get outside help. But for sort of some simpler things, whether it's what has been the change in retention um, during the COVID outbreak for our company? And how does that change location by location? And is there something about the labor market that's causing that change or the age demographics? Let's say you have a labor issue like that, an HR issue, um, and you want to match that up to not only personnel data, but sort of other types of data sets across the company to see the types of work that requires kind of a multi-pronged approach. So again, I don't mean to, you know, I don't want to make it sound like, oh, you're not giving us sort of the guidelines. The reality is it is a complicated process, but it really, that's why specificity at the front end can drive you sort of through the process by very meticulously laying out the process, figuring out the data sets, and then figuring out what you're capable of actually doing. And so ideally, you get down to the point that you have answers that are fairly actionable, uh, fairly straightforward, um, and at least based on relevant information to move forward. You know, uh, it, it would be awesome if, uh, if you knew what question you wanted to answer and you started collecting data to answer that question. But what happens is, in, in my experience, uh, as things become more sophisticated, as the possibilities get bigger, as computers get stronger and more collection of information and synthesis of information occurs, uh, there's more possibilities. And so uh, I think of a question to answer that I did not think about five years ago, and we hadn't been collecting that data. So now uh, we have to you know, take raw data and figure out the answer to a question that we didn't anticipate, and that's harder. That's a harder process. So uh, are computers kind of getting better at, at dealing with these things? Is this an AI solution? Is it a, is it a programming solution? What do, you, what do you think it's going to be? Look, I think it's more of a 
programming solution than an AI solution. I still think at the end of the day, for data analytics to be useful, it's going to have to be driven by business people and what their insights are. So yeah, just like in the real world of business, we don't think of every question in advance. You know, if you asked three years ago, if you'd asked me as a CEO of a mid-sized company, well, are you prepared for a pandemic? I would have said, pandemic, what are you talking about? <laughs> right? And so um, now I'm doing things where I'm looking at retention rates for different levels of employees. I'm looking at sort of what the labor market more broadly looks like in terms of young professionals. I'm sort of thinking about different ways and why people come and go and what this means for you know doing a lot of kind of rigorous analysis. But even for someone like myself, who's a data expert, I am still, you know, realize the data can only get me so far and I have to think about it in the context of the business and I have to really do my homework to try to get there. So look, there are no easy solutions. Um, but again, if you want to maximize your likelihood of success, I would say there are certain questions that are going to be better, better approached with data. And those are ones where you can be concrete. Those are ones where you can rule out some explanations. Those are ones where you know you have at least some data sets over time. And then there are others where, you know, data will be part of the solution, but not the whole thing. And that's just a practical reality. Um, again, I, I don't, I'm, I have very high standards for my work, but I also realize, you know, for all companies, you are trying to make the best decision you can with the information you have and you can bring to the bear, given the resources you have at that point in time. You know, most people who are running a business don't have infinite time to be running data analyses in the background. So you have to prioritize. And I think that's the important part is some data analytics, I think, is better than none. And I think that's the important point. You, um, do you deal only with objective data or does somehow subjective uh, material find its way into your uh, workflow? Well, look, I mean, <laughs> I think it is always challenging to think that any data analyst can be completely objective if for no other reason they bring their certain biases about how to approach the work. In general, most of my work involves concrete, what I would call objective data, pricing, costs, um, retention levels, salaries, quantities. Right. However, there are times where we deal with things like attitudes, um, surveys about what people think and feel <laughs> um, and can at least quantify those. Now, again, I don't always know what to make of that. You know, how do I, what can I do with sort of a data analysis of, okay, here's the, here's the current attitudes that employees have about getting vaccinated, let's say. <laughs> well, that could be interesting and it might be good to know that. It might be good to know how the demographics of my workforce line up against the current attitudes. Um, I'm not always sure then, all right, what's the next step? But you can do analysis of certain things. But in the most part, me as an economist, especially in my expert hat, generally dealing with sort of the more objective criteria. Okay. Uh, well, well, that's good. I mean, that, that, makes, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, do you see, are, are there trends that are kind of unfolding that you're watching? I mean, I mean, what, what is the data pointing? What just in general, what trends are you noticing? I mean, I, I love trends. I look at trends. What are you noticing, uh, you know, in, uh, from the data you see? So I think right now, uh, you know, let's sort of start with a little macro. I mean, first of all, we have had quite a fascinating economic stretch here, right? <laughs> we have this insane you know, pandemic that spurs an economic crisis of some form or fashion, um, which now is being unwound and spurring all sorts of interesting economic recovery, which may well be very uneven. And so the first step is just simply, I think we talked about this earlier, how do you make sense, you know, of economic data when the times are unprecedented? 
Um, and so watching kind of what happens with the recovery, is this going to be a recovery that's going to be more even than the last recovery in 2008, 2009, or is this going to be one that is even more, um, you know, winners and losers, high end and low end? That's sort of one thing. With respect to data use itself, I think people are enamored with dashboards. And I always try to, <laughs> I try to say I'd like to get past the dashboard or beyond the dashboard, because although I think dashboards can be useful if you know what information you want, what really matters is how do you take the, the information from those dashboards and actually make it actionable as opposed to just saying, oh, great, now I have all this data in front of me. What do I do with it? <laughs> well, if you don't do anything with it other than look at it every day, that doesn't really help you. So I think that's the other thing is I think we are starting to see more sophistication that way. And then I also think that just in general, the other big trend is that even companies that historically have been cynical about data or don't like data, um, I think there's just so much of it that people know they have to do something with data. They still don't quite know what. And so, I, I, you know, there are a lot of kind of, for lack of a better word, pretenders in the space, people that sort of talk about these data concepts and, you know, promise you a pretty dashboard, promise you that they have these deep insights. I think the reality is still the real world is ugly and messy and data gives you certain ways to make sense of it, but it doesn't get rid of all the warts. <laughs> and so even data analysis is probably not going to give you all the answers you want. Um, and I think, again, hopefully this focus on limitations and strengths is an important part of what also I see going on. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, what, I, what I would say just from sitting here listening is that uh, uh, if I had to pick somebody, a pretender or somebody else, I, I'd, uh, I, I think that you sound to me like a real insider. I mean, like like the inside track on this stuff, you know, asking the right questions, understanding that it's not everything. Uh, you know, I mean, listen, I don't think that this takes the place for human intuition, but I think that it's a really good way for somebody with good intuition to kind of make sure they're on the right track. I, I just I just like the way you look at these things. It just made a lot of sense to me. And I, I really appreciate you sharing those insights. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that as well. Great to talk to folks. I love talking about this because I do think it's a powerful tool, but like all tools, you have to know what the limitations are. <laughs> well, you know, uh, and, and one of the things that, uh, you know, to that point, uh, it is one of many tools. It's one golf club in a bag of clubs. It's not the only thing like the data says we have to do what the data is. I, I, that's why I think it's manipulative. It's one of many things that we need to consider in, in our whole thing. And I think leaders need to be uh, not only uh, you know, open to looking at different kinds of data, but they also need to be transparent about what they're looking at, what they're omitting, because the story is not only about what you tell, but what you omit. Uh, there's a lot of pieces to it. Yeah, it's not about being an advocate. It's about actually trying to get some insight. And so, yes, you can manipulate data and advocate with data, or you can actually provide, you know, the real insights, which sometimes, as I said, are not as clean and concrete as people would like. I can't tell you for sure this policy is going to result in this many sales or this, you know, advertising is necessarily going to be effective for all these groups. But I think a smart intellectual approach, which is rigorous, thoughtful, and caveated <laughs> is the best insights. Well, listen, John, thank you very much for sharing what you know. I mean, well, not sharing what you know, sharing one teeny weeny little fraction of, uh, you know, probably what you know, and uh, but just giving us some insights. I mean, it's been incredibly interesting, valuable, and uh, and I appreciate you, uh, you know, putting out the inside track on, on how data works and how this whole world of analytics, uh, you know, can help. So thanks very much for uh, being on the show. Thanks so much, it was my pleasure. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joe Block. For more insights and to learn more, 
visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a huge thanks to our podcast show producer, David Wolf, and the team at Autovita Studios. Profit from the inside wouldn't be possible without these wonderful professionals. To learn more or to find out how you can launch and produce your own podcast show, reach out to www.audivita.com. That's A-U-D-I-V-I-T-A.com. Produced by Audivita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.